Yeah, Mike, so you are doing an Ultimate Cav show tonight at 6 o'clock with Jason Lloyd, even though he is on vacation over at spring training. I almost said spring break. He probably would rather be at spring break. Why don't you tell us what we're talking about tonight? Oh. Yeah, 6, six wow. o'clock tonight, not 5, 6 o'clock. Uh, we're dealing with Jason on the West Coast. Wow. It'll be at 6 o'clock. We're going to dive into what's real, what's not real about some of these Donovan Mitchell trade rumors. We're going to talk about some expectations for the Cavs in the second half. And we have a third topic that is still TBD, depending on what Jason wants to talk about. I sent him a couple options. We'll see. But the big topic today, trying to find what's real and what's not in these Mitchell trade rumors. Getting to the bottom of that with Jason Lloyd, who was the first person last year to put that report out there. Why, why, at this point, why would there be any question about a Donovan Mitchell trade? I'm not trying to get us to go down this rabbit hole. No, we're trying to unravel the truths and the untruths. Who's putting out what information? Yeah, we got Who's Ricky's next. I'm not going here, but I just... Like, until somebody said, I didn't talk to Donovan Mitchell myself, and Donovan Mitchell said he's not coming back to Cleveland. Players I'm, don't lie. I'm banking on, I, I mean, whatever. They lie, Players they don't, don't lie. lie, but, like, all this this, this just unnecessary speculation. Enjoy Donovan Mitchell while he's here. Like, appreciate the fact that he's being a constant pro while he's here, that he's representing the city of Cleveland, that he's not throwing it in your face, that he might possibly want to go play somewhere else. The dude shows up every single day to come work, play his ass off and put the Cavs in the best situation to have success. And we put energy towards him possibly leaving here two years from now. Yep. Which is why we're going to get to the bottom of the truth tonight, six o'clock on Ultimate Cavaliers. That's a tease. That's a tease. Yes, it is. And set us up for this next topic here. Yeah, guys. So NFL.com decided to grade Andrew Barry's rookie class from 2023. They graded all the NFL. They gra- yeah, they graded yeah, everybody, but we landed at 23 with a class grade of C. And I want to know, do you guys think that's fair with all of our rookies that played today? <laughs> I want to remind you that only one of them didn't start a game, and it was Siaki Ika. Everybody else at least started one game. Earl, do you want to start here? Uh, can I see the list? Yeah, the absolutely. Top, the top take- five was Houston number one, Pittsburgh number two. Anytime you want to throw it up, Steve, so I'm not going off that be phenomenal. <laughs> number three was the Rams, the Lions were four, and Green Bay was five. And then if you skip down to the next one, Steve, the teams by the Browns, so these are the classes in that same conversation with the Browns. New Orleans at 20, Minnesota at 21, Indianapolis at 22, the Browns at 23, and the New England Patriots at 24. So I mean, I think an overall C grade when you combine every rookie is fair. I'm looking at the individual players on this list right now. I mean, Ronnie Hickman, Dewan Jones. Those are the dudes that I'm looking at that that really had uh, impact. Outside of that, ain't nobody else really do nothing at all. So, like, I think a C is warranted. A C is right where they should be. G? I could have went down a little bit long. Cedric Tillman didn't give me nothing. Uh, Dewan Jones was the one that made the, 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 the hit and he made the splash. Um, but nah, man, I can't, like, I can't give it no higher than that. DTR, I know we like DTR. Cam Mitchell, okay, cool. Luke Whipler. Yeah, nah, listen, they could have got, they could have, if they wanted to be cute, they could have gave him a C minus if you really wanted to get cute about it. Cause Dewan Jones is like, okay, he played, but he didn't play the whole entire year. Um, some of the other kids got an opportunity, not kids, but they grown men, but, but you know, they got an opportunity. Some of the young guys got an opportunity to play, but it wasn't no Zay flowers. Yeah. Like, we, like these other cats begin dude with thousands of yards and all these sacks and 
we just be having, uh, once again, medium sauce, medium sock game. So when I first saw this article and Anthony sent it to me, I was like, I see they had DeWan, yeah. they had Hickman, 23rd, like how many rookie classes were better than hitting those two? So I went into the article and I read, and this is the exact quote by NFL.com on why they gave the Browns a C, why they were ranked where they were. And I quote, Injuries hit the Browns rookie class hard. The C grade is a reflection on the overall lack of production, but I think most of the players have promise if they're able to stay healthy in year two for a team coming off a playoff berth. I 100% wholeheartedly agree with that evaluation and assessment. You look at the guys who played. Dewan was awesome when he played, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Got hurt, couldn't stay healthy. Tillman, he did play. Production was eh. Right? I mean, was anyone blown away by Cedric Tillman? I don't no. think the production was good. I'm just going to call it, it for was, what it was. It was but I, I do. He has flashes and showed promise, but. Dude got potential to be good. It yeah. just wasn't there. The route running is the biggest mm -hmm. thing that he needs to work on this offseason. And you see rookie that's receivers. That's bad if that's what you do for. That's like being like, hey, man, <laughs> hey, I'm a production guy. Hey, he need to work on his graphics, though. Yeah. I mean, look, Since everybody needs work. It's different. But in his defense, though, we didn't see worse. <laughs> Brian Rubisky came here from Ohio State, one, which has always produced wide receivers before it was called wide receiver U. And your daddy was a wide receivers coach, and you couldn't get off the line of scrimmage. So I'll take Cedric yeah. Tillman's issues. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. It's teachable, and, and like I said, he showed flashes. But you see a lot of rookie receivers come in, have immediate impacts, and not just first-round picks, but guys all throughout the draft. Are able to come in and produce. Tillman had his opportunities. He wasn't on the same page with Flacco. I'm not selling my Tillman stock, but I'm certainly not buying it in the same uh, with the same enthusiasm I was last year. Ika and McGuire didn't really get a chance to play. They were stuffed behind uh, a talented defensive line okay. rotation, so they get a pass. Cam Mitchell, I thought, looked pretty good against Chicago, but once again behind the cornerbacks on on the roster, tough to play. DTR looked okay before he got hurt, but once again. Got hurt. Hickman may be the steal of the draft. But overall, like, we saw flashes from the group. Dewan Jones in stretches looked dominant. Ronnie Hickman for a game or two looked like one of the best safeties in football. Cam Mitchell made a phenomenal fourth down stop against Justin Fields in Chicago. Tillman, whatever. But on a week-to-week -week basis, the overall production just wasn't there. So I think a C isn't just fair. I think it's kind of the perfect evaluation of the Browns' 2023 rookie class with the caveat that if these guys can stay healthy, they should be bigger contributors and better players in year two. I mean, to that, for, for with that, all that being said, like I'm interested to see what year two look like for Cedric Tillman. I think DTR is going to end up being a very good quarterback. I think Isaiah McGuire is going to be a good defensive end. Can't wait to see what, uh, you know, what Eco will bring us. But like you said, you said in the article said, I mean, from the production we got, Hickman in seven games and, and Dewan Jones and however many games he played, that's the cream of the crop. And so, like, if they were a B or B plus, unfortunately, it's dropped down because everybody else did absolutely nothing. Yeah. So. And injuries, once, I don't want to bring up the injury bug for the 10th time, but yeah. none of those guys. Yo, Houston's rookie class. Was yeah, it's good. Cooking. It's good. G, what were you going to say? Oh, well, yeah, they just got to, they just need better. They got to have better talent. They just got to keep getting it. Like, you know what I'm saying? Whatever way you're going to get it, like in a draft, the draft is, you know, and people used to say back in the day that was our Super Bowl is to draft. What we're starting to learn now is, man, if you, you know, it don't do you no good to have all the picks if you ain't hitting on, on some of them. And for the Browns to, because you, you said it earlier in the show, they're going to have to start rebuilding. 
to a point where they're going to have to get some guys. Maybe a Luke Whipler is a guy that they can use to, you know, piece here and there if they got to let one of the guards go. But they got to hit on some of these third, fourth rounders or, you know, they can't afford to just go get all free agents. They yeah. got to hit on some of these dudes. Let me ask you guys this and we'll move on to the Cavs. Which rookie from the 2023 class do you expect to take the biggest jump from the end of this season to the end of next season? Which player are we going to be like, eh, rookie season was okay, but, or, or even good to great, but which player takes the biggest jump from rookie season to sophomore If season? DeJuan Jones went from what he went to to an all-pro, rather first or second team like next year, it wouldn't surprise me at all. I think that dude played well enough to see how good he can be. I think he's seen a little bit of his own potential, mm-hmm. and I think he'll be motivated behind that. This dude, That's the biggest steal of this entire draft, right? Because for the longest, he was touted as a first-round pick. You know you know how, like, at the end of the, the draft the previous year, they always showed a big board for the next year? He was right there yeah. in the top 10 prospects, right, right, right up in there. So that dude can go from what he went to this year to an all-pro player next year. Are you saying biggest deal in the draft for the Browns or just overall? For the Browns. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah, he'll... So, so, so take Jones off. He'd pick Jones. Pick someone else. Um, let me see. I think, I think, I think, I think Ronnie Hickman can start right now. I thought, I think if they said, you know what, Juan Thornhill, thanks for your contrib- contributions, but we're going to move on with somebody younger. I would have no problem with Ronnie Hickman now. He just needs to keep his eyes in the right place and be more disciplined. Um, but for him to play at that rate as an undrafted free agent, um, I, I think he's going to take another step too. Only problem with that though, because me and him had this conversation, the money really want to allow you to move on from Juan Thornhill into next year. Because yeah. even if you moved on from him past that June de- designation, still paying a lot. Yeah. I think you're still paying almost damn near like $11 million. Yeah. Or something he'll, like he'll be on it that makes, roster It makes more year. sense to keep him. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My guy though, and maybe I'm infatuated with one game and, and maybe I'm Blinded by a fourth and three tackle on Justin Fields, but I think Cam Mitchell's a really good ball player. Like a really, really, really good ball player. And I'm not sure exactly what the Browns have in store this offseason. They have to make contract decisions on Greg Newsom. They have to start preparing for a Martin Emerson extension. Mm-hmm. He's on a great third round contract now, but that dude deserves to get paid and will get paid by some. But I think Cam Mitchell's a guy that the Browns are going to have to take a deep, hard look at to see if he's capable of being able to step into that starting slot spot that Greg Newsom's currently occupying or rotational on the outside. But he's a guy, I think, who got minimal time as a rookie. That could be a big factor in the secondary. No, no, no hate. I mean. Don't go there. I know where you're about to no go. Hate. Don't go there. You don't like Cam Mitchell? No, I think Cam Mitchell. I think he's really, really good. I think he can play oh, that position. Are you going to say they're going to trade Newsom? I think that's, that's the, that I, the only one of the, one of the biggest. See, see this, I've been, I've been eyeing this for a long time. When you got you you draft you gave the big contract to Denzel Ward, then when you got Emerson and you accidentally hit on him, and, and that happens in the league. Sometimes you get a third round guy, he's a gem, and all of a sudden he outplays it where he was drafted at. Then you could draft a Greg Newsom. You say, "Ooh, we got to move you to the slot." Here's one thing I do know: there's no way all three of those guys are going to be on the roster, uh, given them the, the, a premium position like corner, and given the fact that Greg Newsom is going to get all for the fifth year. <laughs> So your thing, you got to decide, it's either Newsom or it's Emerson. The, the decision is made. And it's the decision is made. 
MJ Emerson, I think, can be elite. I'm trading Cam. I'm trading Greg Newsom if I can to San Francisco. Give me Brandon Ayuk. Yeah, I know he's gonna have like a year left on his deal. You still had a whole scheme ready. No, look, Dang. look, look. Just hear me out, y'all. Hear me out. Hear me out. Hear me out. Right? Maybe I'm playing bad right now. Yes. But I'm calling John Lynch. I'm like, hey, what's up, John? How you doing, bro? Nothing. I'm cooling. What's up, baby? Uh, I'm chilling, chilling. So nice, look, nice. look. I know y'all just went to the Super Bowl, lost again, a pack. <laughs> you hanging know, up. I'm hanging up. <laughs> no, don't hang up. Just listen to me. Hold on, just listen to me. Thirty seconds. So I know you got some good DBs, man. But listen, you gonna come up into some contract uh, like situations yeah. yourself. You know what I'm saying? Go ahead and take Greg. Give me Brandon. You pay. You pay him. I pay Brandon. We just move on. Call it even. Cool. Uh, Newsom and a second round pick for Ayuk. I give you, I give you Newsom, and I give you a third this year, or Newsom and a, and a third this year, or in the fourth next year. Well, I got, I got three other teams offering me a first. I need at least a second this year. I'm call you back. I'm call you back. I got to talk to Jimmy first. Right. <laughs> I, I think that's the, the realistic Ayuk situation. They're gonna get a first one, but in general, if the Browns want to figure out a way to get into the first round or acquire a proven legitimate talent at receiver, I think it's the Newsome second round pick combo. That is their most attractive trade combo they could put together to acquire some sort of talent. Is it worth it? I don't know who the player is. We'll see. But the second round pick plus Greg Newsome is their most attractive trade package. And then I'm going to get that kid from Oregon. What about uh, what about Cortland Sutton? See, I don't. Like, Cortland Sutton is a little I, older. They, those, those, he's, a, he's a little yeah. older. Them I get Denver, it. Them Denver receivers. I just don't like that. Yeah. Them Denver receivers. Hey man, Sutton catch touchdowns and he really don't drop the ball, man. He's big too, big guy. But we'll uh, we'll see. Ayuk though is worth it, hundred percent. For sure. Now, so, look, I got my boy thinking. No, no, I, I, I would do it a heartbeat. I wouldn't think. I think Ayuk's an absolute freaking stud. First team All Pro, like. And he's 25. Yeah. You do that. Like, Sutton's not first team all pro. I'm not sure if Newsom plus. No, I'm just saying, but, but hey, but listen. I am all for it. If the Browns have some way of acquiring Brandon Ayuk this offseason, I'm all in. And what's up? Yeah, guys, before we move on to the Cavs, I want to remind you all that you can get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. That's $150 if your bet wins. You guys can bet all different ways with quick bets live game same parlays, exclusive prop bets, and plenty more. You guys can visit FanDuel.com slash UCSS, and you can shoot your shot over there. FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Was that an ad lib, or did it really say shoot your shot? No, it says shoot your shot. We're in that word for word right there. Oh. I was going to read it tomorrow when he's producing the Ultimate yeah. Cleveland Sports Show. You'll That's see for right. yourself. You can bet on Cavs games. You can bet on any NBA game. You can bet on anything with FanDuel. Make sure you send us the winning tickets, and we will feature them on the show. Let's talk a little Cavs now before we welcome in Jason Lloyd in about 15 minutes from spring training. The second half, and yes, it's not technically the second half of the season. It's not the last 41 games, but after the <laughs> All-Star break, it's the second half of the season. Just bear with us. Right. Second half of the season, guys. Anthony poised the question to us. How much tinkering, how many changes do you want to see JB play with with the lineups and rotations before the Cavs get to their postseason stretch? Earl, I'll start with you. Do you want JB to be aggressive in mixing and matching? Do you want to see him stick to one? How much tinkering should he do? I want to see JB Biggerstaff get creative, think outside the box, and come up with a plan to where you continue to work on your, your curtain starting five, get that solidified, make sure these dudes' chemistry is, is right. But now you start to deploy all these different lineup variations so that you can counter whatever any team throws at you come to playoffs. You alluded to this a lot. It's a, it's a huge, it's a much different game 
once you get to the playoff. The yep. game slows down a lot. The defense gets much tighter. And every single game, the opposing team pick a player who they're going to try to eliminate, right? And you might run into a situation to where Donovan Mitchell is not on, to where Darius Garland is not on. You got to have all these different line of combinations and variations to be able to throw at an opposing team to be like, you know what? What happened to us last year will never happen again. Oh, y'all going to do this? All right, cool. Let me get my 1A out here. Are y'all doing that? All right, bet. Let me get this group out here. Are y'all think y'all slick with this? It's cool. We was working on this with this lineup as soon as we came back from the All-Star break. So I think that knowing that I believe that the Cavaliers is going to finish the season as a top three seed, right? And I think that as you journey along, see, locking up a top three seed while stabilizing your starting five, I think it's necessary for you to try all these different lineup combinations so that you can throw anything at an opposing team come playoffs. G. Bush, what say you? Um, there's two things I, I need him to, to figure out. I need their version of a death lineup. Um, in the playoffs, there's going to be some times where you are going to want to exploit certain matchups and you're going to need to put up some points in a, in, a, in a quick fashion. I needed them to figure out your three-point death lineup where you got, you know, maybe Isaac Okoro playing a three, um, whether you got, whether Sam Merrill is in, in there with uh, Donovan Mitchell, um, as well as if you got a Struess, Sam Merrill, Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, and one of the bigs. And, and you know, can you get that lineup to where you now have an opportunity to, to, to like, you know, play and, and, and maximize your three-point shooting ability? Also, I want a defensive lineup, uh, somebody where you can place and, and, and make sure that Isaac Okoro is on the floor um, to help out on a Darius Garland. Um, maybe you might have to pair a Darius Garland with an Isaac Okoro. You give up a little bit of something with the offense with Okoro, but you also keep people out of the paint with Darius Garland. So I think there's these little small little tinkering lineups that they want to do. And two, I, I and, and, and I think, you know, and I'm not just saying it's just because I'm saying this. You're going to go down a backstretch. This is a good opportunity to give guys like Sam Merrill uh, playing time, to give guys like Imani Bates playing time, to give guys like Craig Porter Jr. playing time. Because guess what? If you're going to have this time, you, you the Cavs are one or two injuries away from what happens if Darius Garland goes down for 10 games, 15 games. You need to get somebody to do some playing time. And think about it like this, McNuggets. Sometimes in the playoffs, you just want to spark. Yeah. Hey, come on over here and come out here. Come over here and let's take a look at the spark and see if you can hit a couple threes and get a spark off the bench. So I'm trying to see some of the little little nuances um, and at the same time, try to figure out these lineups that you can run that you're going to need against the Bostons if you're going to make a big run. I like what G said about getting certain players enough minutes to see if they can truly be part of a playoff rotation. Right. Not. Hey, hey, pull up my graphic real quick. These are the Cavs' five best lineups this season in terms of net rating with two caveats. They had to have at least 12 games played together. And uh, what's the other caveat with me? They had to play 12 games together. What do you guys notice looking at this? These are all their initials, by the way. Obviously, I couldn't write all first and last names. What do you all notice? Isaac Okoro is in every last one of them. And Jared Allen, Isaac Okoro, and Donovan Mitchell is in every lineup. Bingo. Now, before you freak out, because Evan Mobley and Darius Garland aren't in any of them, do not freak out because two reasons. One, it had to be a minimum of 12 games, <laughs> so they are just naturally out of a lot of them because they missed time. 
and two, when the Cavs went on their massive win streak and were blowing teams out, which is why some of these numbers are inflated, mm -hmm. those two were injured. My point with the, of showing this is we know four players who will be on the court in crunch time for the Cavs. Donovan Mitchell, Darius Garland, Jared Allen, and Evan Mobley. We know four. Who's the fifth? And in their death lineup, in their crunch time five, who will that fifth player be? I'm and you got a bunch of different options. I'm going to tell you If right you now. go with Struess, it's a guy that you cannot leave alone. A guy that demands attention from the defense and provides defense, but he's an average defender. He's above average, but he's not great. You go with Akuro, who's their best perimeter defender, but still has to prove he can make shots in the postseason but he's, before he's they leave a, him alone. He's been improved, though. Yes. Do you go with Niang, who's played in more playoff games than anyone else on the roster, who's a bit of a defensive liability in certain matchups, but from the corner, and I know he's not shot in the ball great this season, historically at least, he's one of the best corner three-point shooters in all of basketball. Mm -hmm. so you got the playoff experience, and you have a guy who's a dead-eye shooter from the corner. You go with Dean Wade, more size. you got three guys 6'9 or above can guard in almost any facet, you'll have the height advantage. Who's thought, also a shooter, part of their best plus minuses. Or do you go with Sam Merrill, who's just simply the best shooter on the team? What I need JB to figure out over the last 28, 29, 30 games, whatever the number is, you know the four guys. Who's the fifth? And you can get creative in figuring out when to insert different guys in, playing with different matchups. But to me, that's the number one question JB has to figure out between now and the end of the regular season. You know four of the five. But who's the fifth? And are you comfortable changing up that fifth depending on matchups? That's or, what I want to find or, out. Or, or is it the fact that who's ever shooting better, right? Are you willing so, to go with so, some time? Yeah. yeah, so they're like, if Dean Wade starts off and he's that guy, the shooter, he's not hitting, George Niang comes in. If George Niang ain't hitting, hey, we might have to make a, we might have to go smaller. Max Struess going to have to stay in the game. I think that is one of the things that JB is going to have to really, I think, get better at is understanding in crunch time what move am I making and yeah. who am I going to get these minutes to today, like right now. And I don't have an answer yet for the record. I don't know who that best fifth is because those four players, the four main guys, haven't been healthy enough this season and in enough crunch time games to figure out what's the best matchup. And I would hope, and Earl, I'm curious what you think on this, mm -hmm. I hope JB would go matchup dependent. If they got a guy on, let's say they're playing New York, for example, right? Mm -hmm. And they got OG... They got Bogdanovich, they got Randall and Mitchell on the court at the same time. You may need some more size. Would you be willing to go with Dean Wade even though he's not your best plus-minus guy in that situation? Or do you go with Akuro to guard Brunson? Do you think JB will be flexible enough down the stretch? I hope so. As opposed to just finding that one guy that every night, this is my closing five. I hope so. I think the best coaches are flexible. Mm -hmm. I think that once you assess the situation at hand and you're, you can make the adjustments or whatever adjustments in, in the say moment, that's the best way to go. Ideally for me, I hope the dude who steps up and continue to differentiate himself is Isaac Okoro. Yep. Like the last game that he played before we reached the All-Star break, Eight he threes. took and made uh, career highs and three-point shots. You see the dude shoot the ball with more confidence every single time. He is the best perimeter defender that we have on his team. Me and Mike talked about this uh, a couple Sundays ago. We have heard a lot about how hard Isaac Okoro works. Always the first dude in, last, last dude out, right? And for me, I appreciate somebody that's willing to put in the work, that's willing to grind like that. And he's starting to turn into a dude that was a top five pick and that you're getting returned on investment from, right? And yeah. it's simply because he's putting in that work. And if that dude in particular continues to do the things that he's doing and can prove himself come playoffs, 
that makes the Cavaliers way more dangerous than what they currently is right now before they even tip off on Thursday. I think I think one of the, 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 the substitution pattern and I think people need to get wrap their minds around it. I truly believe that one of the lineups that are going to see a lot is if they go play the Knicks or somebody like that, you're going to see Isaac Okor in the game. He'll follow Brunson around. Donovan Mitchell will be the game as the point. You'll also have Harris Levert in as a secondary ball handler that can get to the rim. I forgot Levert, but Levert could be in that lineup right. too. I, 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 that was bad brain fart out of me. That's Levert. I, this is the reason why that this even conversation even came up. That was so cold. That was so cold. They both was hey, like, oh, so Lord. it's funny because you was talking about like <laughs> JB, you know, learning to adapt to the situation. And I heard this post conference a couple weeks ago where he talked about right now I got ten to eleven dudes who deserve minutes. And there was a game in particular, I cannot remember. Washington, you are exactly what I was talking about. Like, you got Levert who's been balling and and been doing his thing, but he seen someone else had the hot hand, and he didn't force playing Karis Levert Mm -hmm. just because he had only played said amount of minutes. Right. And so, to me, that's where JB has continued to show his growth, right? I know people feel like, well, he stumbled upon it. I think he stumbled upon the growth, but hey, it is what it is. Growth is growth. This is where we are now. So uh, Anthony Davis stumbled upon growing eight inches from his Cleveland State commitment to his Kentucky. Yeah. Are we gonna blame Anthony Davis? No, like, no. We, we haven't even seen, and, and we we've seen Darius Garland not finishing games, but he had a, the last time we saw him, he had a pretty nice game. I thought he he looked more like himself, mm-hmm. but there are going to be times where he's not gonna be able to be on the floor like that because like he's defensively, hey, right? Speaking of Darius Garland, let me tell you something. No, in all seriousness though, I gotta get that dude his kudos because I felt like he needed to come off the bench in order to get his groove back. And he proved me wrong. Like I, I should have been more patient with him instead of trying to microwave the situation. With each passing game, you've seen the dude get better. You've seen him like be more confident. You started to see the scoring come back alive. Remember the Darius Garland the last year? He used to dribble, 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 then find somebody. This dude is playing more as a point guard that's a facilitator and not somebody that's just out there dribbling the basketball. I just see a lot of different things over the oh, before we hit the All-Star break mm-hmm. that makes me feel like, okay, I was wrong. He didn't need to come off the bench to kind of get his mojo back. It just needed to be more patient with him as he was patient and just not forcing anything taking the right shots, making the right passes at said time. But when you called off Donovan Mitchell on Valentine's Day, on Valentine's Day, and, like, you had that type of confidence in yourself Mm -hmm. that, like, hey, I got this, like, that shut me up. You was able to find Joe Mojo, like, in the starting lineup, and you didn't have to come off the bench to do it. So I got to give you your flowers. That's one of those things to where I'm not – I'm not mad. I was wrong about. Hey, when you're wrong, if you doubt someone on a team you root for and they prove you wrong, it's yeah, really a good. Thing. That's a good thing. The answer to their. Jason Lloyd says he hates calling it a death lineup because that's a disservice to how good the Warriors' death lineup truly was. So I'm gonna call it their crunch time five. The answer to their crunch time five. <laughs> crunch time five. Is if Isaac Okoro is still making 40% of threes in the playoffs, that's the answer. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like nothing else matters at that point. But we got to see if he can make shots in the playoffs and whether or not teams will guard him. Because I can promise you right now, Isaac Okoro could shoot 50% from three from now to the end of the regular season. Game one of the postseason, no matter who they play, they're going to sag off him and make him shoot. So he's got to prove he can make yeah. it. And to your point about Darius Garland defensively, there are going to be some weird defensive matchups where Garland 
is going to have to prove his offense is better than what he's giving up defensively. Right. And luckily in the playoffs, and this is where having Mobley and Allen is a massive benefit, he just has to funnel them towards the paint and into the runner-up and defensive player of the year last year, Jared Allen, who, in my opinion, is a tier below Mobley, but in that same conversation of great, not necessarily even rim protectors, but just always in the right spot, help defenders. He just can't get cooked. And that's all yeah. I'm asking. You don't have to be a curl. You don't have to be Mobley. You don't have to be Marcus Smart or Tony Allen from back in the day. You just can't get cooked. And if you funnel guys to the middle where you have Allen and Mobley and even, you know, depending on the mattress, but a curl waiting for you there, you can live with that. But they do have some tough matchups size-wise. This, this might be a situation, guards. though, with him to where, like, I agree with you, you can't get cooked, but his best defense might be his offense. That's what I'm saying. Because if, Dar- if Darius Garland can go get you 30, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, not your opponent exalting energy on the side of the ball that's why to he's where. always in the crunch time five. He's always, no matter how you look at it, he, unless it's a one-off defensive possession, seven seconds left, Knicks have the ball or sells the ball. He's got to be there because what he brings offensively, they just can't replicate. I, I just, like, like we, we talk a lot about defense, and I know defense matters more in the playoffs. I'm not going to say it don't matter or I'm not concerned about it. I just know that last year the Cavs was one of the best defensive teams in the NBA all year round, and, and it didn't matter. And so at the end Their of the defense day. defense was fine in the postseason. I, it, it was fine, it but it, did, it didn't score. matter to like when we needed to go get yeah. a bucket. And so yeah. even if he is a liability on defense, the fact that he can go get a bucket, he's got to be on the court. That's your yeah. best defense yeah. right exactly. there. Exactly, just go court. score. And looking at the two, the main competitors, like yeah, if he plays Boston and Drew Holiday and Jalen Brown, yeah, you you gonna have a little bit of problem. Or if you play the Milwaukee Bucks, it's not even that big of a deal because uh, on the other Dame's end, Dame Dame's not it's, gonna. It's do New it. York and Boston. Those, right, those are the two, and that's a tough matchup for anyone in the league. It's that's not a Cleveland specific issue. That's an, you know, they built their teams to be supersized. Yeah. And Jalen Brunson's tiny, you know, relative terms. Yeah. The next four guys in the quarter, six, eight or taller. Like, that's just a tough matchup that, to deal with. And, and to me, the toughest matchup out of anything is the Knicks. I don't think about the Celtics because I think that you can almost get Jalen Brown and, and Tatum to just start jacking up shots. And they're not going to take advantage of the fact that Porzingis is down there on a guy or catches him on he's a switch. So, he's been so good this and so I'm he's like, yeah, those dudes, yeah, yeah. those are the dudes that kill you. It's the yeah. Drew Holidays and the Whites and the, and, and, and the Przingis that I believe that have just basically those matchups the, the Cavs don't have very much for. One more thing to watch for we pivot to your Black History Month spotlight. We'll bring Jason on. I don't think when the playoff rotation comes around, mm-hmm. Niang and Wade will both be in it. No, no, no. It's no. one or the other. And that's going to be a hell of a battle between those two individually to prove to JB who will get those minutes in the postseason in that eight. And I'm telling you all right now, they have 11 guys who could play, 12 you count Tristan Thompson, only eight are going to play in the playoffs more than like two minutes. You may get a guy for two minutes. Seeing which one of those two down the stretch is playing better and fitting better into their offensive system is going to be a fun little subplot to watch as the Cavs continue to go. Uh, and do we have a read before Jason and Black History Month or are we going straight to Earl? <laughs> no, we'll just go straight to Earl and then I'll do our next read Earl, before Jason. Earl, enlighten us today, my friend. Who's All right, so I thought, I thought this one was pretty cool because, you know, this woman to, uh, clearly was Venus Williams before Venus Williams. But today we're going to spotlight Althea Gibson, who in 1950 became um, the first black female tennis player. Uh, she was one of the first women to cross color barriers in professional sports 
became the first black woman to win a Grand Slam title when she won the French Open in 1956. She also was the first black woman to be ranked number one in the world in 1957. Depending on what you read, a lot of people will tell you it was Venus Williams, but it was Venus Williams in a modern era. Uh, she would go on to capture a title in each of the Grand Slam tournaments for a grand total of 11. She also competed on the LPGA Tour in 1964. That's crazy. Becoming the first woman ever to compete professionally in both tennis and in golf. So today, man, we give our flowers to Althea Gibson. That's crazy. Yeah. You, you, you play golf and tennis? Yeah. That's crazy. And it is just like, you know, we all know the Williams sisters. And for a lot of people, it's like, you know, that is the, that, that's the standard, man. But this woman, like, like she was the trendsetter. She was the one who, who really started this whole thing. And here it is, another black athlete um, in, a, in a time frame to where, like, it was so hard for you to just get recognition, to get f treated fairly on a normal basis. And I think what makes this so cool is because she's a black woman. Like, there, it's hard for women in this country, like, in general, right? And I can only imagine... If it was hard for black men in 1950, just how the hell hard yeah. was it for a black yeah. woman in 1950? And for her to accomplish the things that she accomplished, like like breaking like and, and and jumping, you know, racial barriers and gender barriers, like kudos to her. It takes some type of woman to be able to do what she did at said time. It is crazy. I I'll be honest. I was completely unaware of her before our meeting this morning. But to go back and be a tennis champion and compete in professional golf, which two completely different skill sets, by the way. That's not like, oh, because you do one, you naturally should be good at the other. That, that's apples and oranges. And to be as successful as she was in both of those in an era where yeah. any type of success was rare. Yeah. Hats off, kudos to you. Like that, that's, that's, that's beyond impressive. That's, I'm going to start going around telling people, Venus, who? But no, I thought that was cool because like, you know, Serena Williams is one of my favorite athletes, like, of all time. Like, Serena Williams is on my bucket list of people to interview before my career is over. Yeah. So. Well, she's a on the Mount Rushmore of all-time goats in all sports. Just Yo, athletes. me and you got so, like, she's on my Mount Rushmore, she's, too. She's, out, she's in the conversation. I don't know who's on No, she's on mine. But she's certainly in the conversation. I'll give you two. That's I'll give you three that's on mine. Michael Jordan, Muhammad Ali, Serena Williams. I mean, that's, that, that's one of those debates that, we could do a whole show on. Yeah. Like we do a whole on the four, just your four greatest athletes of all time. Uh, LeBron being con in, in contention for that spot. Yeah, we listen. Anthony getting, hey, by the way, Anthony getting y'all boys up out of here, man. <laughs> y'all boys in the chat better behave. Y'all, everybody got comment during Black History Month. Y'all better be cool. Hey, G, instantly went to look at the comments. <laughs> hey, I was like, listen, I, I, we checking. We will get you up out of here. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of, real, real quick, we're still waiting on Jason, right? Yeah, Jason is stuck in a meeting right now, so he right, so asked let's, let's us to LeBron stall for about five we'll Jason. LeBron, are we cool with that, Anthony? You got to read first? Yeah, go for it. All right, so LeBron said at All-Star Weekend that he's not sure – if he wants to have a Kobe Bryant-esque retirement tour, a season-long celebration of his career, or if he wants to, quote, go out like Duncan, which means I'm just going to walk away. I'm not going to tell anybody about it. I'm just going to retire. That'll be it. I have a couple thoughts on this. I'm curious if you guys do as well. Should I start? Yeah, I you start? start. You start. So, Earl, you are 
very adamant about believing what players say because if you don't speak to them yourselves, that's all you got to go off of, right? Not just players, people in general. People in general. Like GMs, yeah. if Andrew Berry says something. I got to take true. you at face value for what you yes. said until I can't. I think that's very admirable. And I'm going to tell you right now LeBron James is straight up lying to your damn face. There is not a chance in hell LeBron James doesn't throw the world's biggest, greatest farewell tour the NBA, the NFL, Major League Baseball has ever seen. He said in that same press conference, he's not good at the praise he gets. My dude has the chosen one in size 600 font tattooed across his chest. LeBron, you deserve all of it. You deserve a 164-game celebration tour, farewell tour if you want it. You are the best basketball player to ever live. And what you've done for 22, 23, whatever it'll be, years, deserves every last ounce of praise and recognition you get. But to sit up there and say, I'm not sure I want the praise. I'm not sure I want to go through and have everybody tell me how great I am in every city and get presents from the other teams and have all their legends come out and would take a dope Instagram picture like, LeBron, it's a GOAT. You might be on my Mount Rushmore of all-time athletes, but get the you-know-what out of here with that bull crap. That is the biggest bold-faced lie in the history of the world, Earl. And if you believe him, I, listen, I'm calling cap on you. Okay, so I ain't going to say no names, but we was in the chat, right? And I think the only thing that triggered me was the fact that, like, you know, when, Le- when LeBron said that he's uncomfortable receiving, like, recognition and praise, mm-hmm. he has a hard time receiving that. I don't think that's far-fetched to believe. Here's they stopped what. the whole game wait, against the Thunder wait, when he broke the scoring record. Wait, but here's, here's what, though. They stopped the whole game. He, he, they should have. I agree. That's sure. what I'm but saying. But he here's why. He made sure just that they he got, won the first season, in-season tournament. But yeah. Just because he got chosen one tattooed on his chest, right? Like, that's one thing. I might think I'm really, really good at what I do. And in my own little community, when we, when we amongst ourselves, I might say, yeah. I'm good. I'm damn good. And I know I'm going to be great at this one day, right? That hits a whole lot different than somebody else telling me, hey, you know what, Earl? I think you're good. I think you're going to be great one day. Receiving that, like, from somebody else, don't always hit the same and it's right. not always as comfortable as you believing it in yourself. As long as you believe in yourself that you are the the the, the dog shit. crap, the, <laughs> yeah. shit, you can say the it. shit. It's YouTube. Okay, as long as you, you as long shit. as you believe you the shit, then who cares if, if like like if somebody else think it or don't think it. As long as you believe it, like just just understand like, you know, have some humbleness to yourself. I didn't think it was the most craziest thing for him to say. Now, <laughs> with that being said, <laughs> man, this is gonna be bigger than a party that Big Meech threw Thank before you. he moved to Atlanta. I, I really thought. Like, <laughs> I like, was, was going to lose my mind, Earl. Listen, this is, this is going to be that big. Like, and he deserves it. Like, he, deserves, he deserves it. Man, he deserves every single applause, every single like round of flowers, everything. Like, If you really think about LeBron James' career and the expectations that were set on LeBron James' career and the fact that he has surpassed every single expectation that was, the difference between LeBron, Kobe, and Mike, Kobe... And Mike really, really had to work at being great. It was expected that LeBron James was going to be great as soon as he put the jersey on. You see what I'm saying? So, like, if the dude wants to take a victory lap or a farewell tour, you've earned it. But don't say, like, because he feel that way, that that's the most asinine thing that you ever heard. I, you know, I, I look, I'm not a conspiracy theory 
about it. For me, I think he says this, and he says this because it is hard that he believes, like, look, I'm not a person who is getting my just desserts. I think LeBron feels uncelebrated um, in L.A., Mm-hmm. I think he I feels agree. under, um, you know, under respected. I don't know if that's a word, but you know, it Kobe got a statue. Statue. Shaq got the statue. Yep. Magic got yep. the statue. Yep. LeBron, Kareem. you know, Kareem. The, the, he's never, you know, never, you know, even Wilt Chamberlain. He's never Jerry West. He's not even really in the, in their top ten in, as far as the Laker culture goes. I think when he went there and he won a championship, he felt it was going to be more. They devalued it and said it was a COVID championship. Yep. Um, he, he was the all-time leading scorer and instead of them giving him flowers for taking care of his body, eating right, being a, a physical specimen and working hard, they just say he's naturally gifted over Michael Jordan, right? Yep. And so, you know, Michael Jordan didn't play, you know, he had the advantage of playing and coming into the league, um, you know, when he was 18, Jordan stayed in college. Well, that's because he wasn't better than, Mike, Michael Jordan wasn't better than LeBron at 18. Like, that's just a reality. If he was that good... He would have been in the league getting them buckets, but he wasn't. I think LeBron feels and realizes like, man, it ain't it ain't the same. Like if he would have stayed in Cleveland, especially the second time, he would have been celebrated at a higher level than he is today um, because we would have put him on that pedestal and said, nah, this is the greatest dude of all time. And that's why I think the farewell tour not only deserves, it's going to happen because to everything you said, G, he feels, and I think to an extent, and this is crazy to say, rightfully so in some regards, yeah. underappreciated in the grand scheme of what he's accomplished. And you look at all of LeBron's accomplishments. His resume is like six foot, yeah, it's crazy. six feet long. Seriously, crazy. everything he's done. Maybe the most impressive part of LeBron's entire career, his entire athletic prowess was at 15, he was tabbed the one. Mm-hmm. You're, the, you're next up. You're the chosen one, right? He's not only lived up to every expectation, even the craziest, highest, highest, wildest expectation they put out there for him. He's broke that glass ceiling and is continuing to ascend. And you look at all the guys who we tab as, he's next up. Like Wemby, for example, right? Who's had a great rookie season. Do you know how good and how long Wemby has to play in the NBA? Forever. Now you know to how- just even come into the conversation with LeBron. Like, the he's fact not- he's done it for so long and has never really slipped up, to me, that's the literally the most impressive thing LeBron. I kid done. you not, man. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, damn, I've really been watching LeBron Your James play my whole life. And if anybody that's from Northeast Ohio, like, like same with you, like the first time I ever seen LeBron James play in person was in high school on a football field. You see what I'm saying? Oh, you saw him play like, like football. Yeah, like what I'm saying is like just LeBron James in general in Northeast Ohio, like before like slam magazine and everything was kind of getting hip to lebron 17 years old we like we still we was already already hip to what was going on so to be watching him play multiple sports for this long and to be playing at this high of a level still it's it's just so crazy like this is a dude like who deserves everything that he's gonna have coming this way once he decides to hang it up the only thing that bothered me was it's like and it's not because he an athlete i just got a problem like Anytime people feel like they need to call bullshit on how somebody else feel about themselves if you don't know that person. If the man says it, he's uncomfortable, like receiving praise, then okay, he uncomfortable receiving praise. I don't know LeBron James to like to not take his word at face value when it comes to that. 
You see what I'm saying? Now we can sit up here and give our opinions yeah. on on the basketball side of things and what he do on the basketball court. But I don't know that man. Like like some things. I'm just going off past action. I, I feel that, that yeah. man. But it, it's just like like you're right. I, I've only met LeBron once. Yeah, like, 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 that's that like it. somebody saying, like, man, how you going to tell me how I feel about, how you going to tell me internally we how I feel about We can ask Jason in something. a sec when Jason hops on. You know what I mean? Like, because he actually does J- know, Jason is the big, he, it, it, he does know LeBron. So, like, that, uh, that was I mean, just kind of crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, they got a very special relationship. We got Jason yet? No, not yet. So, Jason's dealing with some connectivity problems out there at spring Classic training. But Jason. I do have a question for you guys. Shoot. And I'm sorry if I missed it while I was working with Jason. What do you think the ticket prices in Cleveland will be during his farewell tour when he comes through? Would you say how like much what, what do you think these ticket pr- prices will even be Well, I know be it'll be $20 to. off if you use game time. Download That's the true, too. Well, we'll we'll get to that but, read in a minute. Uh, what are you talking, like courtside? I'm talking like anywhere. Nosebleeds even. Upper deck then to just make it even? So, for example, upper deck tickets to the Bulls game last Wednesday were anywhere from 22 bucks to like $73, $74. It's got to be $400. While we're waiting on Jason, I, I do want to respond to something G said. I think that if LeBron went to L.A. and had this expectation that he was going to be viewed in a certain light, then that was unrealistic because even before he went there, you heard Magic Johnson say a long time ago, like Kobe is the greatest Laker ever, and that's Kobe's town. Now, depending on what area who you talk to, people might say, no, nah, the greatest Laker ever is Magic or Kareem. And this is their town, and this is their the team. Lifers. Even before Kobe passed away, like LeBron was never really accepted because this is Kobe Bryant's town. And so, like after Kobe tragically passed away, there was nothing in the world that LeBron was going to ever be able to do. He could win five to, like, in a row to be like validated as I'm a Laker at yeah. heart. And it's funny because we have a lot of conversations when we hear LeBron speak about his different places he's played at his different tenures in the course of his career. I don't think he had ever flat out just say it, but I think he enjoyed himself most here. I think his memories that he created here in Cleveland are the ones that's most special to him, the ones that resonate with him the most. You can see it in his body language when he talked. Meanwhile, like he act like the Miami Heat version of himself Doesn't never exist. existed. Yeah, it's crazy. Like like the best version of LeBron's crazy. basketball form just, just, just didn't exist. Uh, we got Jason Lloyd here, so Ant, do a read, and we'll bring in Jason from sunny Arizona. Yeah, and like Mike said, and you got to go to game time if you're going to go get tickets for this farewell tour. It takes all the guesswork out. You can download the game time app. You create an account, and you use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. Guardian single season tickets are also on sale. You can go to game time for those, too. I know I'm looking to get the May 4th tickets. I want that Obi-Kwan Kenobi bobblehead for my collection. So use game time, code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. And let's welcome in Jason. Jason, before we talk Guardians, we were just talking LeBron and whether or not we think he'll throw himself a farewell tour. You know him better than all of us combined. Will LeBron throw himself a farewell tour, or is there any chance he will Tim Duncan it and just disappear into the sunset? Of course he's throwing a farewell tour. Yes. Yes. He wants the... LeBron loves to be loved, and he would not mind 29 different franchises and cities showing him how much they appreciate what he's done for the game. There will be a farewell tour, yes. All right, so you're in agreement with all of us, Jason. Just wanted to get that on the record. You are out in Arizona for training, Jason. Have you had a chance to evaluate and or observe any differences yet in how Stephen Vogt's running the show as opposed to how Terry Francona had for so long with the Guardians? 
Uh, it's it's real early out here. Like they're it's still in workout mode. Pitchers are throwing bullpens. Um, they they don't play games until I think this weekend is the first spring training game. So it's very early. But it's we talk to people who have been part of the organization for years. There is a different vibe out here just because everything is new. It's not just Steven. It's a new bench coach. It's new hitting department for the most part. Chris Vilek is still here as a hitting coach, and Carl Willis is still here as a pitching coach, but that's it. And and Carl, everybody has, is mentioning Carl as someone that they're really relying on. You know, Carl's 61, 63 years old, something like that. His first year as pitching coach here with Cleveland the first time around, Stephen Vogt was a senior in high school. Uh, so that just puts into perspective how long Carl's been doing this and how long he's been around. So you know, Carl carries a lot of weight around here and carries a very large voice and is relied on in terms of how to put this thing together. Uh, but, but, uh, it's, it's just a different vibe. It's, it's, it's young. It's definitely younger, more energy involved. And I mean, now they got to go out and compete and obviously they got to perform well and win, uh, but people are very much reinvigorated around here. And it's, I mean, there's nothing against Tito. Obviously he's a legend, but you know, after a while, it just it just becomes routine and it becomes the same thing over and over and over again and so it's it's an organization that probably needed an infusion of some new life and some new blood jason what's up brother first things first man i need a shot glass when you're on your way back to cleveland (laughs) (laughs) second thing so we was talking about this yesterday and you know about the dolans not spending money and wanting to see these young prospects develop to see what they have and i was kind of irritated about it i'm not the biggest baseball savant but with Steven Vogt in as the new manager, you know, the second year playing under the new rules of MLB with this young infusion of talent, does this have the chance to be a better fit, a better mesh versus than what it was last year with Tito? I, it, it's so hard to say. And, and to the point you're referencing about, you know, some of the comments that Chris made a few days ago on they got to give the chance for the young guys to play. Well, they said that two years ago, and it worked out to their favor. And that's when, you know, they had to get, they had to get a look at Stephen Kwan, and they had to get a look at uh, some of these other younger players and see if they could help them. Andres Jimenez being another one, and see if they were part of the future here. And it worked to their advantage. And then last year they tried to get aggressive. They went into free agency, and it blew up on them with uh, with Zanino and Josh Bell. So now here they are pivoting back to we got a bunch of young guys to play. The difference this time around. Maybe I'm maybe I'm I'm wrong, but you know when you look at Estevan Florial, when I mean Ramon Laureano is not a young guy by any means. Will Brennan probably is a fourth outfielder at best. I know Mike loves him, but it's oh, probably yeah, his Jason. role is is a it's a fourth outfielder. So I don't know that you can make the same argument that you did two years ago. Um, now there are some other guys. If George Valera can ever get healthy and come up, you know he's a name. Uh, that's been on prospect list for years. Kyle Manzardo will be here eventually, I think, as a first baseman DH type. I don't think it'll be right away. Uh, they'll probably start the year with him in the minors and bring him up around late April, early May, if I had to guess. Uh, but it just, I, it, it is discouraging. I got a lot of thoughts on this. I haven't written about it yet. There's a lot I want to write on this, and I could probably talk a little bit more freely about it after I write about it. But uh, yeah, it, it leaves a bad taste in your mouth, and it feels like a lot of the teams this year could have done more and didn't. You know, uh, Jason, um, one of the things that uh, we had Will Brennan uh, on the other day, and he made it seem like um, there was a major shift in 
the philosophy at the plate. Um, guys are going to be, you know, trying to improve their power numbers. Um, and, you know, I asked him this question, is, is that something that you either have or you don't? Um, I see a lot of uh, major league pitchers who are now increasing their velocity, you know, two, three miles an hour. These guys all over the Internet are doing that. Is that something that teams are working on um, now that can improve power, or do you believe that's just something you're either born with or you got it or you don't? Well, it's really interesting you ask that because I'm actually working on a piece now um, on the decline in switch hitters in baseball, and it'll it'll probably run in a few days, but this is the lowest number of switch hitters in baseball in 50 years. And if you look at American-born players, it's the lowest number in 60 years. And guys just aren't doing it anymore. And I was at Reds camp the other day, and I was talking to Eric Davis about it, and he said this – and, and he's a different generation, obviously. And he said that this is a generation that has lost the ability to hit because everyone is just trying to hit the ball out of the park. And they change the way that they teach how to hit. And it's all about launch angle. And it's all about hitting the ball out of the park. And, if, you know, one of the most popular hitting instructors on YouTube yeah. is uh, a guy called Teacher Man who yep. taught Aaron Judge how to hit. <laughs> and and I'm like really into this now, right? Because I got a 13 year old who's coming into this and and taking baseball very seriously. So he's you know he's at the lab three four days a week now hitting baseballs and play and learning how to hit. And so I'm very much invested in this sort of thing. And I was talking to some players today who are like, you know, teacher man did not t- teach Aaron Judge how to hit. Aaron Judge taught Aaron Judge how to hit. Aaron Judge had more to do with it than anybody else. But they teach this style now of snap your wrist yep. and fly back and, and just and just hit up. And, you know, Josh Naylor was saying back in double A AA or triple A, uh, the Astros affiliate they were playing when Miles Straw was on that team and Kyle Tucker was down there. And he said they didn't even take batting practice. They had these PVC pipes and this is all they were doing. And he said they were mashing. And uh, but but it takes away Eric Davis's point was you don't you don't understand how to hit. You're not actually a good hitter. You're just trying to hit the ball out of the park. And Eric Davis was naming names. And he said Joey Gallo could still be playing in this league if he ever bothered to learn how to hit. If he could hit two seventy and hit ten to twelve home runs less a year, he'd play till he was thirty eight, thirty nine years old. But he's out of the league already because all he did, ever tried to do is hit home runs, and and so it's it's a it's a long conversation mm-hmm. uh, with a lot of parts to this whole thing. But to answer your question, G, I don't you know the guys I've talked to don't think it's coming back. Like this is the way it is, and because of velocity, because the game has changed and everything else, everybody tries to hit the ball out of the park. And well, I don't know if we're ever going back to the Harvey Wallbanger days. Uh, you know, now the Guardians do things a little differently. The Guardians seem to identify contact hitters which is the exact opposite of what we're talking about. But they tend to identify contact and they want to try and build the power from there. But they want guys who can put the bat on the ball. And we're still a little early to know how successful they're going to be. They've had mixed results to this point. Owen Miller didn't work out. Stephen Kwan did. You know, we'll see some of the other guys here that fit that profile now of like Tyler Freeman. Uh, does he earn an everyday job? So we'll see. Uh, but, you know, it's it's certainly obvious it feels like that the Guardians are going a different direction than a lot of teams around baseball, just trying to hit the ball out of the park. They see contact and try and build power from there. In that same vein, Jason, if you had to bet your life savings on one of these young Guardians bats to develop into a legit middle-of-the-lineup hitter this season, who would you bet on? 
young guardian bat to develop into a legit middle of the lineup hoarder or lineup hitter. Um, oh, like Kyle Manzardo will get there, but I don't know that he's a 30, 35 homer guy. Um, it's tough. It's, it's really tough to sit here. I mean, I was talking to Zach Miles about it today. If Junior Caminero was still in this organization, he'd be batting third and, you know, playing right field. Yeah. And and now he's one of Tampa's top prospects, hits the ball over 100 miles an hour every time he hits it. Um, and, and that's the kind of deal that'll haunt him. Chase DeLauder, I think, has a chance, but he's not going to start up. He's going to start in AAA. I mean, we're not going to see him for a while. I, I don't know that they do have a guy who you can who you look at right now and circle and say that guy's going to be a legitimate 30 home run threat this summer. I I don't see it. You know, and it's and it's the, you know, the infield's pretty well set. You got Hosey at 30, you know what he is. I wouldn't he's obviously not an emerging player though. They got to figure out shortstop between Rocchio uh, and Arias. If Arias again, Arias sort of falls in that all or nothing category where he's got power, but he's some of his bat to ball skills are lacking. If he could hit the ball a little bit more consistently and take hold of that job, there's some power in there, but he's yet to really do that. Jimenez at second is fine. I think they, if ultimately they don't settle on either shortstop and they like Juan Brito best, who's who they got for Nolan Jones, Brito could be second. They could put him at second and slide Jimenez to short. First is pretty well covered right now with, with Naylor and, and eventually Manzardo. And then the outfield is just a crapshoot. It's just it's a lot of it's a lot of bodies, and and that's what the spring is for is to figure out who can play and who can't. Um, you know, I Miles Straw's got to compete for the job. Chris Vileka said that he was the first one that I can recall in an official capacity saying on the record, Miles Straw has to win a job this year. He has to compete for his for his playing time now. Whereas before that was never really the case. Estevan Florio, Ramon Laureano, Will Brennan, none of these guys are, are big time power hitters who can emerge as middle of the lineup bats. So it's it's an issue. Awesome. That's Jason Lloyd from Spring Training. He'll be out there all week. He's on the Ultimate Cap Show tonight at six. Jason, answer my text on what you want to do for the third topic. Uh, still waiting to hear back. From <laughs> will, on that. It's been a busy day. That'll be six o'clock tonight. Jason, appreciate you as always, and uh, enjoy the sun for us, my friend. <laughs> all right. See you guys. Awesome. Bye-bye. Well, coming up in overtime in about two minutes, a crazy video that sparked a hell of a discussion pre-show that G has no idea what it's about. And I cannot wait to see how G reacts. Not at all. When he sees this video. <clears throat> see everybody in overtime. Peace. Peace.